It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome into the Sports Objective Podcast. I'm Dave Richmond along from Kyle from McGrain's Barber. How are you, man? Good on, Dave. How are you doing? Great for a Monday. Uh, Bubba apparently had the bad weather during the night and, uh, Finally now, it's like Johnny Nash, the old song from 1972. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. How is it your way? Yeah, it came through here about 4 a.m., um, extremely high winds. And so this morning when I went out to, to resume my duties as far as delivering the food to the kids, um, a lot of tree limbs were down and saw a few trees down. Uh, and so I, I, overall, though, I do think it was a lot better than what it could have been. And, and today, though, it's, it's uh, been pretty sunny this morning. And the, the winds, though, are still consistent, 15 to 20 miles an hour. And then uh, with gusts up to 35 and 40. Damaging winds, winds howling, 40 miles per hour, trees down everywhere, power lines strewn about, carnage, death. Destruction. Bubba Rosenbaum out there delivering food for the children. Nothing stood in his way from getting to the pointed route of making sure the children of Rowan County were fed. You know, not only that, but it's it's great because uh, Bubba is helping out the economy too. Every time um, we talk off air or on air, Bubba is always going to get takeout. And Stacy, he's going to be you're okay. Gonna, you, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute now. I know. So I have I have gotten takeout. Well, I'll plead the fifth on that one, but uh, <laughs> it's Nate on the takeout day. <laughs> anyway, anyway, next, next topic. Next topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I tried to get. Uh, I didn't think about it yesterday. I tried to get takeout, and it was Easter Sunday, so. Kyle knows in Williamson, North Carolina, that's that wasn't going to happen. So um, I probably McDonald's would have been about your only choice. I had some Taco Bell, gentlemen. That's not what I wanted, but <laughs> there was a lot and of places. I forget, I forget Williamson has a Taco Bell now. So. Yeah, KFC Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah, the combo. Uh, but uh, yeah. anyway, let's move to our round table. Hey, speaking of taco, wait a minute before the round table. Okay. Speaking of tacos, do either one of you guys remember uh, day we had one in Little Washington growing up? Do you, either one of you guys remember Wendy's, the Super Bar? Yes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Well, you, could get, you could go get it now. In hindsight, when you think about it, a a food bar at Wendy's that has taco meat and cheese, where you can make your own tacos and baked potatoes with chili, it sounds disgusting. You know, but back in the eighties, disgusting because of how hygiene is. But uh, back in the eighties, I loved it as a kid. Oh man, I'd forgotten all about that. The one in yeah, you're right. The one in Washington had the one right near the Washington Square Mall. So the Pirate Owl, give him a shout out from the great town of the original Washington, or some people call it Little Washington for those that are not near the the Green Warrior and Pirate Nation. I just um, called it Little Washington. There you go. So hey, hey was, what the hell? What do you mean? What do you mean? Speaking of uh, speaking of uh, Little Washington or the original Washington, as some folks say, uh, it's um, Little Washington. They can call it original Washington all they want. It's little and just, just watching. I, I know you guys have uh, watched the SEC storied on ESPN, the SEC Network. They do a tremendous job with those. And I watched one uh, about Dominique Belongs to Us last night. It's one I had DVR'd. So, um, so that one was 
that one was good, just talking about how Dominique Wilkins had moved uh, there from Baltimore during his high school career, and then uh, and then once he made that decision to choose Georgia over NC State, uh, he faced a challenging time. People people didn't like that, but uh, and then he came came on to uh, good terms with him. And good uh, as far as uh, his brother Gerald playing in the league as well. So both brothers were very good in the NBA. Um, let's move to our roundtable now, guys. A lot to talk about. It's hard to believe that. I, by the way, Kyle, I still have uh, I have some family, but some friends as well that are asking. Yes, we're still doing the podcast uh, just because there's not games to cover, and one of the reasons is because of recruiting, Bubba. There's been some between you and Kyle. Um, I know have been following it very close. And which one do you guys? Who do you want to talk about first? I guess we'll talk about who signed first. Uh, so yeah. uh, we'll talk about the uh, the transfer from NC State, uh, offensive lineman. I'm terrible with names, so no doubt Bubble, I've scared the name. But yeah, the offensive lineman, uh, grad transfer at NC State. Uh, been there four years, seeing limited playing time. Uh, kid that uh, obviously Shank was familiar with. Shank was a uh, offensive analyst there for a year um, while this kid was there. So. Uh, we we need uh, we need bodies on the offensive line. Um, we need we need depth. And uh, this kid, you know, he, despite not being a starter or even really making the two deep very very much, I think he played in four games this past year at State. Um, he, he'll probably come here and, and see significant playing time. Uh, we need a couple more. Honestly, we need we need a couple yeah. more offensive line and a couple more D line. And I'd like to see it happen before the season starts. Uh, <laughs> Bob, do you have any information on them, more information on them, like his name? Dave, I think Bob may be distracted. No, um, no I'm I'm back now. Sorry. Offensive lineman from NC State. We just got Bob. Yes, name. Justin Chase, six five, three fifteen. Um, he's a guy that Coach Shank was very familiar with, um, because <laughs> Coach Shank served. I guess it was what the. 2017 yeah, season as a, as an offensive <laughs> analyst. Uh, in case you hadn't already mentioned that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I've been <laughs> everything except this name, Bubba. You uh, okay. Name. All right. Hey, <laughs> by the way, folks, what's funny is that uh, it's kind of like a marriage we have with the three guys here with the podcast, and it's funny, Bubba has sometimes selective hearing. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, no selective hearing. I'm just uh, getting uh, getting fussed at in the in the and, back down there. And I, I have I have the ability to remember details about everything except someone's name. I, I will. I will be in the in, in the middle of an interview with someone, and I will forget their name. I, I do not know why that is. I just cannot remember names. It's, it's a mental block with me. Speaking of names, uh, Bubba, before we get uh, more into the recruiting, uh, what guests do we have on the show today? We forgot about that. Well, folks, yeah, folks who have followed professional football for I mean, back into the eighties. Don Beebe's the name they'll certainly recognize and remember those four straight uh, Super Bowl appearances that the Bills had. Don Beebe was part of all four of those teams and also um, played for the Carolina Panthers and Green Bay Packers. That'll be uh, very exciting to say the least. A great interview with him. Appreciate him very much for coming on and uh, back to recruiting and the round table and I, I'm so excited about uh, Mike Houston and the staff, and certainly, um, hey Kyle. One of the things that uh, we didn't talk about the other recruit, but Dave, the the other kid we signed. That's what I'm talking. That's what okay. I'm leaving. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to pitch it to you. So, 
Okay. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Finish your pitch. Yeah. So uh, I was just going to say it's nice to know that uh, as far as the defensive side of the ball, the the Pirates with this, the great staff that we have, it just gives me hope the defense is going to be better. And I know, Kyle, that we got an, another great one that you followed very closely. Yeah, uh, the safety from uh, out in California, junior college player, um, uh, going to have three years of eligibility left, uh, which that's becoming more common. It seems like guys when they used to come out of junior college after two years, but uh, he's coming after one year. Um, it, people really seem to like this kid's game film. Don't know much about him, uh, honestly. I don't even know where he went to high school. Bob, do you have any of that information? I do not know where he went to high school. I, I do know that uh, he he attended R- Riverside City Community College after beginning his career in redshirting at Fresno State. Um, and, and at Riverside City, he had seven interceptions. And then in high school, I want to say his, I think this was just his senior year, and that he had something like 13 interceptions. Okay, now, now that's something I didn't realize. Okay, so he signed with Fresno coming out of high school. Right. And, uh, and, and red shirt has some academic issues, most likely had to go to junior college. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, but, um, Bulldogs. So that, but the word mm-hmm. is that he has, um, like you would guess with that seven interceptions, he's a guy that has a nose for the football and good, good ball skills in, in coverage. And then, um, I have only seen limited film, but he may, uh, Maybe a little more athletic, but he would remind some Pirate fans, just with the nose for the football that he has, of somebody like a Damon Magazoo or Van Eskridge. Well, and, and the fact that he signed with Fresno State, uh, a program with great tradition, and uh, you had um, uh, their head coach that just retired, Bubba. Who was that? Uh, Jeff Tepper. Yeah, if Tepper believes he can play ball, uh, Jeff Tepper knows that you know, he, he's, he's pretty familiar with uh, good football players. So, uh that's uh, I, I like that he signed with Fresno, and uh, a kid that is uh, you know most likely Bubba, a, a a kid that went to high school out West Coast. Um, I, I wondered if he was an East Coast kid that just ended up at a West Coast junior college, but if he signed with Fresno. This is a West Coast kid, so it's going to be a, a bit of a shock for him, culture shock to come out to Greenville. Uh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, and I think you're right. I'm pretty sure he is a California native. Not 100 percent on that, but. Uh, and the kid, young man's name is Sean Dorso, and D O U R S E A W. Um, Sean Dorso, and like Kyle said, he'll have three years. Uh, definitely go to hoistacolors.net and check out uh, Stephen Igo's coverage of that. And Kyle, I want to mention to you that you had a great point about going back to Chase, the offensive lineman that was NC State. He was originally recruited um, by Ruffin McNeil, by the way, guys. And he, uh, speaking of uh, Igo, Igo had a great article on him, and they were he he basically um, because of the problems we had with uh, with Corona, he decided to go back. He said God had a way of working it out where he was originally going to, or potentially going to um, ECU. He picked NC State, and he said because of the Corona stuff, he decided to stay home and to to come to ECU. So that's actually a Corona situation where it worked out in our favor and you mentioned that i think it's a podcast you mean what is this graduate transfer stuff he, he was Correct. gonna yes. go look for potentially other places but decided that uh just to go with east carolina yes that he was originally going to thinking strongly about it came i think it came down his original recruiting um to ecu and nc state he picked state but he's actually we'll, we'll say it's like bob marley redemption song it's redemption he, right. he's come to east carolina so yeah, well, I mean, seeing, you know, you graduated, 
hadn't got much playing time in NC State, so uh, we need some offensive alignment depth. So uh, it's a good fit for both of us. And now uh, we need a couple more of these offensive linemen. <laughs> hey, so, guys, uh, one question I have for both of you, because I don't know the answer. Maybe you all do. Um, because of our need for offensive, defensive line, do you guys know how many scholarships we have? I'm putting you on the spot, but I don't know the answer to that. So I do not know how many scholarships we have available. I would think probably a few. Um, yeah, I don't know that answer. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I would think we have a few out there still that uh, that we can give. Um, and uh, how does it work? Uh Bubba, maybe you know this, Dave. I don't know either one of you. When we kick a guy off the team, or he screws up, we had a, we you know we had a couple guys leave the team. Uh, offensive lineman, uh, you know, thought that the you not you know he didn't want to play the rest of his career. Uh, we had a you know kids kicked off the team for the kid from Duke who transferred here who stayed about five minutes and then was off the team. Um, what a what is the protocol with that? Is there a scholarship that become immediately available? It hurts us academically, I know, with that that piece sure. of things. But I'm not sure. I know the academic side of it. I'm not 100% on the – I would – my guess is we do, but I'm not – I know academically it hurts, but I'm not sure about the – as far as the uh, – Well, they went off the line when I talk about he graduated, so that doesn't hurt us academically. He, right. he finished his degree. Right. I would I'm think the the ones you kick off of I think it would I don't I'm not one hundred percent on this, but I think that, that I think that the money would be available for for the next academic year, but I'm I'm not one hundred percent. My point is is that it would be nice to I'm hoping that we're right. I'm hoping that um that, that my uneducated guess is that we do. And if that's the case, then that would be fantastic because we would be. I got a feeling, Dave, the depth we need on D line and O line, we'll find a way to get a couple kids in here. There's, there, there, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's different ways to get kids. You, you can have preferred walk-ons that uh, that may be right. on scholarship yet, but you you're getting some other kind of funding to uh, to get them in here. Within Just like the Justin Hardy's. Justin Hardy's a perfect example of a kid that was um, there. And uh, in Vanceboro, not too far away, in Craven County, and they had already given out Lincoln Riley and, and Ruff had given all the scholarships out, and and the story goes that he, um, they found a way for him to to come on. So what is it? The uh, help me out. The blue shirt, yeah, gray yeah, shirt, blue, yeah, blue, blue shirt, shirt, gray shirt. Yeah. And we have those those issues there where we could just put it towards the next year. Or um, right now we right now all we have is. <laughs> Not being deep, but that's just all we have is right now. The future is for this current season, and we didn't know, just like with COVID, we didn't know all the problems that we were. We knew a little bit of the problems, but it's grown for both offensive and defensive line. And um, Kyle, as far as running the ball, I mean, if we don't have an offensive line, there's there's no way in the world we're going to be able to run the football. It makes it more difficult. No, yeah. if if we can't build some more depth on the O line. Uh, we need to kind of do what we did towards the end of last year with the exception of the last two games. Look, I, I know Coach wants to run the ball, and he believes in Penix, but our best offenses last year were when <laughs> Penix was out and we had some, some injuries on the O-line, and we went wide and uh, swung the ball all over the field. Um, I think you're going to have to see more of that um, if, the, uh, if, if we can't develop some O-line depth. 
uh, we're just going to have to let uh, let Holton sling the ball downfield. Yeah. Tell CJ and um, the other receivers to catch it and run. And it also opens up the fact that when um, when Lincoln Riley <clears throat> basically essentially did those short passes, it's kind of like a three four yard, um, you know, those short yeah, passes. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you what, Donnie Kirkpatrick knows how to get those kids to block if they yep. want to do more of that. Yes. So what I'm saying is there's creative ways to open up the running game, and that might be um, – I feel like that's our best option until we can get the offensive line that Shank and everybody, all of us, want is um, some <laughs> – the uh, as uh, they've been known in the past, the Dancing Bears. Uh, hey, we'll take them. Uh, do you guys want to go to our first guest, our only guest, rather? <laughs> Kyle and I um, caught up with Don Beebe, the um, Buffalo Bills great wide receiver, also played for the Carolina Panthers and the uh, Green Bay Packers. And um, something before we go to this interview and that I mentioned to you earlier off the air, Dave, is just as far as how um, three of those four games, and I guess it was the, the Super Bowls for the 91, 92, and 93 season, so the last three of the four that the Bills played in, actually had East Carolina connections on the in ninety one or in the ninety one season they lost to the the Redskins, a team that Ernest Biner was a part of. And then in ninety two, um, out in the Rose Bowl you had you had uh, Robert Jones and Vincent Smith starting that day for the for the uh, Cowboys and then the next year you had Robert Jones and John Jett. So um, I just found that interesting something kind of tying in with Don Beebe playing in those games for the for the Bills. But um, let's go to that conversation right now with Don Beebe of the Buffalo Bills, Carolina Panthers, and Green Bay Packers. Well, Kyle, over the years we've had the opportunity to have a few uh, East Carolina players that have had the opportunity to play in the NFL on the show, and we've also talked to the likes of Charlie Ward and Jim McMahon, now we're very excited to have a guy that had the opportunity to play in six Super Bowls and had a terrific career with the Buffalo Bills as well as a couple other organizations. Welcome into the show, Don Beebe. Hey, guys. Uh, good to be here, man. Absolutely. We appreciate your time. appreciate you coming on. And um, I know uh, right off the bat, um, this is something we'll kind of circle back around to later on. I know you get probably tired of talking about it, to be honest with you, especially considering uh, you guys – we're unable to win the ball game, but that Super Bowl against the Cowboys out in the Rose Bowl, and just the epitome of a hustle play when when you ran Leon Lett down from behind and uh, knocked that ball away. Uh, that was that was the first time I remember uh, uh, really. I mean, I had seen you play before that, but just that play stuck in my mind. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Here we are, uh, what twenty seven years? I mean, I don't even know how many years now. Twenty five years later. And still talk about that play. I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, and it's a, obviously it's a great thing because not at the time, but now, um, just to be able to stand on stages and do a lot of public speaking and just talking to people about never giving up. And, um, you know, it's just been able to give me a great platform to do that. So, um, not that I thought anything of it when I was doing that play because I was just doing my job. Uh, but I always tell people this is that, uh, your true character and Marv, Coach Marv Levy used to say this all the time actually. He says, your character is going to be revealed in every game you play. Good or bad. And, um, and that was an instance there in a game, you know, getting beat 52-17. I didn't have time enough to just stand there and think about, I just reacted. And, and how you react to something is really your true character. 
Because if you have time to think about it, guys, I mean, as we all know, most of us is going to make the right call. But when you react to something, have a split second, uh, that's really your true character. And now that I'm a coach, I mean, I preach a lot of things that Coach Levy preached as well. And, and he's he's dead on when it comes to that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Then um, let's start off. I know you're an Illinois native. Um, talk a little about your high school career and then um, going – out of high school into I know you originally went to Western Illinois before you had an excellent career at, at uh, Chattern State. Yeah, well, it's kind of a long story, and that's why I, we uh, people wrote a book on my life story. And, and actually, tomorrow I have a meeting. Tomorrow uh, they're talking about doing a TV series on on that story. So it's just it's oh, wow. crazy. Uh, yeah, because I should have never played. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I literally played two years of college football. One at Western Illinois, which is an FCS uh, school, and then the other year that I played was at an NAI Division II school, one of the smallest schools in the nation at that time, and nowhere in Nebraska. I mean, it's literally like eight hours from Omaha, and um, and and I was landed up being the first pick by the Bills by the Bills in the '89 draft. I mean, who would have thunk that? But uh, to answer your question, uh, when I came out of high school, only one school was after me. It was Western Illinois. And I went there uh, for the two-week camp, and I lost 21 pounds during that camp, and I was just – I wasn't ready for the college scene. So I left, came back home, enrolled in a local college, and then really after one semester of that, I, I dropped out, was just working construction for three years. And um, and I was putting siding on houses and basically kind of felt led to go back and play football. And Western Illinois calls me out of the blue. I mean, think about this for a second. They didn't call me the first year, which – I'm a college coach now. I probably wouldn't even call that to the first year. Uh, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't call me the second year. They called me three years later. I mean, who does that? Nobody. And so I landed up going back there. Played the one year. Was out of eligibility. Then I landed up going to Shadron because I knew the head coach out there. He actually recruited me when he was at Western Illinois when I was coming out of high school. So that's how that all happened to go out to Nebraska. And then uh, and then landed up getting drafted by the Buffalo Bills in the '89 draft. Like I said. Um, now, how did that happen? So this is kind of the where my two things really happened in my life that kind of introduced me to the NFL and then one solidified me getting into the NFL, and this is what happened. The first one was when I left Western the first time and then went back three years later, I hadn't played it down. So my NFL career really started before I ever played it down in college ball, and here's how it happened. I was just in math class one day. Just happened to walk into the gymnasium at Western Illinois, and they were doing their pro day. It was in the spring. It was spring ball. And the guys that were going to be seniors, which that was me, I was going to be a senior, uh, were having a pro day. They were running 40-yard dash for five scouts of the NFL. Well, I was going to be a senior. I wasn't even invited to this event. So I prodded the coach, and, man, I'd love to play and or run. And they, he just goes, yeah, just let them run. You know, the Dallas scouts just kind of said, yeah, let the kids run. Who cares? So all I had was jean shorts on. Okay, a tank top and sandals is what I wore to class. They were not going to let me go warm up. They were not going to let me go get my shoes at my dorm room. So I literally kicked off my sandals, ran barefoot in jean shorts without warming up, and ran a four-three-two. That was the first time I had ever been. That's the first time I'd ever been timed in my whole life. You know, and I was so naive. I didn't know if that was good or not. To be honest with you, back back in the eighties, who cared, right? So, um, so that's where really the Dallas scout, especially, said we're going to keep our eye on you, man. I mean, you ran great. So I played that year at Western, had a great year, then landed up playing one more year at Shadron. And then 
a guy by the name of Bill Giles. He was a combine scout. What a combine scout is, it's his job to go across America, and he had the Midwest, to find the top 300 players in all of college football now, get invited to the big show in Indy. That's a big combine. Well, how in the world is a kid from Shattering going to get invited to that? Think about that for a second. There ain't no way, right? Well, I got invited. Uh, he gave me the highest recommendation. He told me this. His highest recommendation he's ever worked a, a guy out. He had been doing that at that time, 23, 27 years, I think, or something like that. And um, and so I get into the combine, and I go to the combine. I don't have an agent. I didn't know what an agent was. I didn't know I needed one. I went there with a, 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 a just a backpack. And my uh, clothes that I wore to the hotel, and I had some shorts and a shirt for the next day, and my old ASIC fishing shoes from high school. So the shoes that I wore to the event, that's what I wore to run the 40-yard dash in. And and I'm not kidding you guys. My right shoe, the half of the sole was unglued, so when I walked, it flopped. And when I ran, it really flopped. And so I remember... Fast forward a couple of years, I'm with the uh, the Bills, and we hire uh, Charlie Joyner as our coach, you know, Hall of Fame, 18-year guy with the Chargers, you know. He became my wideout coach in Buffalo. The first day he comes up and he goes, BB, come here. And this is like my third year in the league. BB, come here. I was like, okay, this is weird. He goes, what was that floppy noise at the combine a couple of years ago? And I was like, that was my shoe. He, I mean, he never figured it out. Nobody ever figured out what it was. I told him that was my shoe. So anyway, I know I talked a long time there, but I had there's a that's a long story to get to where I I landed up becoming. So crazy story. Absolutely, I had heard essentially none of that, and uh, and and like you said, that's stuff that you can't make up. <laughs> and no. Uh, no. and and you, you're talking about that tremendous speed that you possessed, and you also ran track, right? Yeah. All right, yeah. To further that combine story, guys, I, I forgot to mention, I ran a 4.25 in that flopping fishing shoe, and and the reason my whole life turned around, I came in as a complete unknown to that combine, okay, on one scout's request. I came out of that combine in 21 of the 28 teams at that time in 88, uh, 21 scouts teams came to Shadron to work me out and do private workouts. Think about that. Now guys have one private and they're all there. I had 21 private ones at separate, 21 separate days. And, uh, and so I, I, me and Dion ran a, a 425 that year and it broke the all time record and that lasted 17 years until Chris Johnson broke it in I think 2006 or 7. And I don't say this to brag. I say that because that had to happen. I mean, yeah. if I go in to run 4-4, who cares? You're just another guy, dude, from Shadron, you know? But to run a four two five in a floppy fishing shoe—that <laughs> I mean—that changes everybody's opinion real fast. Yeah, sorry, yeah, man, sorry we, to interrupt. You know, you're good. We, we, you're missing Chris Johnson, and uh, uh, we, we uh, hopefully uh, some news coming out about Chris today. Uh, our listeners will be interested in that. Hopefully, that'll be cleared up. But uh, we, we obviously know Chris Johnson real well. Uh, you may not know this, but Bubba and I are East Carolina guys. So, uh, oh. Chris Johnson breaking your record. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we, we we knew when that happened very well. <laughs> well, I didn't even know it was a record until I was retired. Because back then, no media got in the dome, okay? So there's no media in the dome. It was all GMs, head coaches, and, you know, player personnel guys. So nobody knew what you ran. After, you know, they reported stuff on ESPN that night, but they had no idea what anybody ran. They just, some word of mouth, somebody, and then they print it, you know. Fake news, I guess, right? <laughs> so, right. 
so anyway, I, well, I was going to say it was four years or five years after I was retired, I was training a guy, and I was at the combine, and I'm sitting up in the box with Bill Polian, who was the general manager at that time of the Indianapolis Colts, and he was the general manager that drafted me when he was at Buffalo. So I'm sitting up there with him and Tony Dungy, and Bill looks over and he goes, Beaver, you know you still hold the record. Now, this was before Chris Johnson. And I said, record? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, you and Dion ran 4.25. That record still holds today. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I never knew that. <laughs> so who would have known, right? Yeah. So um, you're going into the Bills. And just talk about the opportunity. Um, you had the opportunity to play with some tremendous quarterbacks, uh, the likes of um, Jim Kelly, Frank Reich, and then also um, Brett Favre. We'll talk about him later on. Uh, but Talk about going into Buffalo and, and how you were able to make an impact. Yeah, I you know, I remember we, we were walking up to Tarmac at the airport when they flew me in the next day after the draft, and I was, like, scared to death. I mean, I had no idea. And just to, to be onslaughted with just things as you come in, you know, as an NFL player. But, man, I tell you what, if as you look back and reflect on things, I couldn't have gone to a better team. I mean, it was absolutely the best team to be, be on in those early to mid-90s. I mean, think about it. Going to four Super Bowls in a row, guys, I don't care if we did lose four in a row. I mean, that, that's when you're the first and only to do something, that's special. And, uh, and you're right. I mean, there's so many Hall of Fame people from that organization, from the owner, head coach, general manager. I mean, look, think about all the players that come off that team, that was a special time. And, um, boy, some some of my greatest memories in my life are during those times in Buffalo. That's one yeah, of the things know. I told Kyle. Sorry, Kyle. I was just no, – I, I had a quick follow-up just what uh, Don is saying as far as playing in four straight Super Bowls and just that being unprecedented. I told Kyle it's a shame that you guys um, obviously um, – just couldn't win one or two of them. I mean, just just because I, th I think I think that that streak of going to four in a row um, gets overlooked more than it should, just because the fact you didn't win one. Yeah, I you know I agree. I think as time is reflected and, and and history has gone on, I mean, people look back on that team, you know, all the pungents, and they you know it's regarded as one of the greatest teams ever. There's no doubt. I mean, how do you how can you not? Uh, with all the Hall of Fame guys on it and, and to do something like that and go to four in a row. Yeah, granted, you know, if we would have won the first one, who knows, right? I mean, do we win four in a row? I don't know. We may have never gone to another one. Um, but I will say this, the difference in the two teams, and I know we'll talk about the Packers in a second, because, you know, going to Green Bay and then winning one uh, with the Green Bay, the biggest difference, because Buffalo had more talent than the, than the Green Bay Packers did that year, even though obviously <laughs> – the Packer team was extremely talented. Collectively, as a whole, the Buffalo was a more talented team. We just didn't know how to handle the mental part of that game, yeah. and and it was just it was hard for us. And I'll give you a real quick example. Our fourth one, we're in Atlanta. We're playing the Dallas Cowboys for the second time. We're winning the first half. We go in halftime. We're winning. We come out in the second half. We get the ball first. We're thinking, okay, let's go down, score, get up ten points, and let's put this away. We felt great. Well, Thurman Thomas, if you remember the game early in that third quarter, fumbled on that drive. Uh, and James Washington, the safety, picked it up and scored a touchdown. Well, we're only down four points. You come to the sideline with the whole half to go now. You just thought we were down 30. I mean, with deer in the headlight look, and it was like, what are we doing, here we guys? Go again. Yeah, here we go again. I mean, it was just like a complete funk. You fast forward two years now with the pack. We go up 10 points real quick on Bledsoe. Next thing you know, we're down 14 to 10 early in that second quarter, 
at that time, we'd come to the sideline completely different. Guys, don't worry about it, man. It's no big deal. They're not that good. You know, we're going to beat these guys. I mean, that was our mentality. Well, 27-14 was a halftime score. Us. Well, it, it's all a mental game, especially, well, at all levels. I don't care what level you're playing. It's a mental game. Uh, and especially in that game, the Super Bowl, because the emotions can get so high and so low so fast, you just got to be able to keep it in check. The game I wanted to ask you about was that uh, that AFC Championship game against the Houston Oilers. I, I remember vividly watching that game, and Warren Moon on, in that Oilers offense was just clicking on all cylinders, 35-3 to there early in the third quarter. And then you got a couple of quick touchdowns to make it 35-17, and then and then the rest is history. <laughs> it was in a, it was in a game that I have never, never up until that point, and never since either coaching or playing have ever been a part of. And what I mean by that is this: I mean, Rich Stadium at that time was it held like eighty-one, eighty-two thousand people, so it was a big stadium. And I and it was just a playoff atmosphere. I mean, Buffalo was just incredible. Uh, backing from the fans. Incredible town, okay? And, and all of a sudden you got 80 some thousand people and by the middle of third quarter there was like 40. I mean the place like emptied and they were going back home and sitting in the parking lot and next thing you know we started making this comeback. Well come to find out they were, they weren't letting them back in because of the, you know, the alcohol rule. Well they were jumping the 12 foot link fence by the hundreds. And so they just let the gates back in. By the end of the fourth quarter it was jam packed again. And it, I've never experienced anything like that. And I've never felt where the, it felt like an earthquake in a game. But I remember when we got the interception, when Nate Odoms, I think it was, got the interception late in the game in overtime, and all we had to do was kick it, that, the ground was shaking. It was so loud. It was unbelievable atmosphere. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a minute ago, um, talking about the Super Bowl teams and how the, the, those Buffalo Bill teams were remembered. Uh, I want to talk about Jim Kelly in particular. I, I obviously well thought of as you know a great quarterback, but sometimes I don't feel like he gets mentioned in the same breath as Favre or Tom Brady or 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 Montana. And, and you know I think it was because he didn't win one of those Super Bowls, and uh, yeah. never really thought that was very fair to lead a team to four straight Super Bowls is still a hell of a feat. Yeah, yeah. No, first of all. Uh, you know, just from a personal standpoint, Jim Kelly is one of the most loyal people you'll get. I mean, ever meet. He's a family guy. He is everything that you want as your leader and quarterback. I mean, he's just a great, great person. Okay, and it was just a lot of fun. Okay, from a quarterback standpoint, um, you know, it, it goes without saying, guys. I mean, the guy could throw a football. Uh, if if Jim was playing, well, Marino and Elway, all those guys, if they were playing in today's game. Oh God, it'd be ridiculous. The numbers these guys would be putting up, you know. Um, you know, it's a, it's just different era back then. But I would say that between Jim and Brett, because that's the question I get all the time, who's better? Well, I always say, listen, you know, open up your garage door, you got a Ferrari and you got a Lamborghini, you drive whatever one you want today. Okay, because they're both great. So the only thing that I would say that would separate the two is that that Brett was a little bit more of a get out of the pocket and make plays, whereas Jim was strictly a pocket passer. Uh, but from personalities and toughness and big arms and the vibrato about them, I mean, they were very similar uh, people. And that's something else. Uh, as far as Brett Favre is concerned, um, I know Kyle mentioned we're East Carolina guys. I remember well back in uh, 
I guess I was nine years old. I remember when Brett Favre was playing at Southern Mississippi, and uh, and um, I remember that year when they they took down Florida State, and I want to say it was one of the kickoff classic games. Yeah, Brett was, you know, I mean the guy was incredible, tough guy. I mean, this guy would play hurt. You would never know it. He'd be in the huddle. And he'd play in like he was in his backyard. I, you know, Jim was kind of that way too. But I mean, Brett was so fun-loving and so loose. I never saw him. I never saw him where I thought he was choking or or nervous or any. And he would tell you he was scared to death. You know, um, but he was just so calm out there and just having fun. I it, literally like it was in the backyard and you're 12 years old playing. That was Brett Favre. Absolutely. That's one of the things that that gunslinger mentality and just uh, like you said, like a little kid in the in the backyard. Uh, that's one of the things that certainly drew me into Brett Favre and and uh, a lot of other folks. And as far as loving to watch him play, I had the opportunity to see him play on a Monday night um, down in Charlotte against the Panthers. That was a lot of fun. But uh, kind of going back, um, talking about the Panthers, and you, I know after your time as a Buffalo Bill came on in, you had the opportunity to play. Uh, as long as, or excuse me, along with a lot of other bills with the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. And to talk about that and being able to take part in Carolina and start up yeah. franchise like that. And uh, yeah. you guys were playing that first season down at Clemson. Yeah, that was, uh, uh, that was a really different year, let me say. Uh, but yet very cool in a lot of ways. First of all, I love Charlotte. Uh, it was very hard for me and my wife not to retire there. Uh, both of us have very strong families, uh, back in the, you know, Illinois area here. Um, and if it wasn't for that, we'd be living in Charlotte. Okay. We absolutely loved it. So, but in saying that from the team standpoint, um, you know, it was a very difficult season for, for myself. And I, you know, I don't want to see, speak for Frank, but, uh, it was just tough. I mean, we go down there and, you know, Frank's going to be the quarterback and I'm going to be the, you know, the, the wide out. And, and it was just because we were roommates for six years in Buffalo and, we were just excited, you know, that we we're going to go down there, start out a franchise. I mean, that was so cool, you know, uh, and it just didn't work out that way from a football perspective. Um, you know, they brought in Kerry Collins and, and then wide out wise, I broke my rib in, in camp and then never got my position back. And so it was just a little frustrating. Don't get me wrong. Dom Capers is one of the most professional human beings I've ever been around. I absolutely love Dom Capers. I think he's a brilliant mind. Uh, and he was a great coach. Um, you, just, you know, some of the positional coaches, it just made it a little tough. And, um, and it, I was, I was glad that I went to Green Bay the very next year. Let's just put it that way. But, um, but, you know, from Dom Capers standpoint, I, I would, I would take that guy as my coach any day, you know, but love Charlotte, love the city. And, um, and we did, I didn't, you know, get to experience the, the new stadium, because you remember all the games were down in Spartanburg, down to Clemson, which is cool. But you know, uh, you know, you kind of like you have your own stadium, you know, as a player. But it just wasn't ready yet. And I, boy, and I've never been in that stadium. Can you believe that? That's one of the stadiums I've never been in. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. One of these days, maybe, but uh, never, never been back. Now, some of our closest friends live down there still, and we just love the Charlotte area. But. Um, but yeah, so it was just a one and done, and then up to Green Bay we went. Yeah, not to get off on a tangent, but that and that 
is going to be very interesting. Everything's going on with the Panthers. They've had so much turnover here in uh, the recent months and quarterback situation. Obviously, head coach with Matt Rule coming in. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how things go for them this year, assuming we're able to play football. Yeah. Well, they need some changes, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, um, I thought I thought Ron did a great job, but I think they needed some changes personnel-wise from a player standpoint. I, I think it was getting a little stale and – um, sorry to, you know, that, that Luke wouldn't, wouldn't be there anymore because I think he's a phenomenal player and awful young to, to hang it up. But hey, he has his reasons, man. Never going to doubt that. Um, so after a frustrating 1995 season with Carolina and talk about the opportunity that arose, um, being able to go to a team that was on the brink with the Green Bay Packers and, um, play for a coach like Mike Holmgren. Well, that was, I mean, that was the team I wanted to go to. If it, if it wouldn't have worked out in Buffalo, don't get me wrong, I never wanted to leave Buffalo. If I would have started and finished my whole career there, it would have been great. But but if there was a team that, because Buffalo was moving in a younger generation, I mean, you know, we were getting a little bit older, you know, with Frank and Pete and me and a lot of you guys, you know. So if there was one team that I would love to have gone to, and it would have been the Green Bay Packers. It was closer to home for me. It was a team that was, I felt was on the rise with Brett, you know, Coming in there and not, you know, bringing in Reggie White and it was just like, man, this, this looks like the team to go to. Cause I, I really wanted to go to a team at that time in my career at 30 that I was going to go to a team that was going to win a Super Bowl. I want to know what it felt like to walk into a to the locker room, uh, after a Super Bowl and win, you know? Um, and sure enough, I was very fortunate and blessed to, to get picked up by the pack and man, just a storybook year, man. It was just, Everything about it was just an historic year, uh, and I'll tell you, you win a you win a, a Super Bowl in a Green Bay Packer uniform, you, it's iconic. I mean, you can't even go into the state of Wisconsin, and there's Packer fans everywhere. But uh, it's a pretty, and I'm and I'm only about 45 minutes from the state line of Wisconsin, so there's a lot of Packer fans down here in Northern Illinois too. A guy that's very near and dear to our hearts uh, here at East Carolina is um, George Koontz, who was a teammate of yours during that era. Yeah, George is a great guy, man. He's doing really well for himself up there in Wisconsin. Sharp guy. I mean, very professional man. As far as George Koontz is concerned, um, his book is just tremendous. I had the opportunity to to read the majority of it, and uh, it was something I would recommend that any football coach or football fan read. Hmm. Yeah, you know what? I have not read George's book. I didn't. I didn't even know he had one out. Um, I'll have to. I'll have to. Look. What's the name of it? Um, I'm drawing a blank now, but it's um, it's just I'm looking yeah. it up. It's, it's talking about just making that transition from football to to life. Um, it is. I mean, I can look it up. I'll find yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it's but, a it's a it's a tremendous book and. Um, it's something yeah. that he was following up when he when he got his doctorate. I want to say he got his doctorate from um, from Marquette. Yeah. Or, yep. um, but, but either that or Wisconsin Milwaukee. But when when he was getting his um, doctorate, he he um, did uh, all that research when he was doing his working on his dissertation, and that led to this book. And one of the professors mm-hmm. that he worked hand in hand with um, encouraged him to put all the information into a book, and and it's tremendous. Just talking about yeah. the the mental aspect of um, transitioning back into normal everyday life. Hmm. Yeah, I know George would be good at that. I mean, he's a very uh, uh, a calm demeanor person, let's say. 
um, especially for a linebacker, that's tough to find, but he's uh, very highly intelligent and a very professional man. I mean, when I think of George, I think of a, of a true pro. And, and um, Sorry to cut you off. I thought you were through. Um, no, the name no. of that book is, um, Is There Life After Football Surviving the NFL? Okay. You'll have to check that out. But um, So talk about that opportunity. I mean, you kind of alluded to it and brought it up here. Uh, a few minutes ago, I had an opportunity to play in two Super Bowls with Green Bay and winning one of those. Um, so, so after falling shy four times, I know that had to be sweet and getting that ring with the Packers. Yeah, you know, I it, I remember the, the end of the game distinctly because, you know, I was 10 yards behind Favre, so I was a safety guy um, when the clock was ticking down, you know, while he was taking a knee. And I remember the last snap, and he took a knee, and you know, it was everything was just going melee. Everything's running around. People were running around, and and I walked up to Brett in a quiet moment, and said, "Hey, Brett, can I have that ball?" And he said, "Beebs, nobody deserves it more than you." So he just gave me the game ball there, and that was kind of cool. And I went over there and shared that moment with my wife, who came out of the stands with my two two kids, my two oldest kids, Amanda, my oldest daughter, and Chad, who is two years old, who now plays with the Minnesota Vikings, which is kind of crazy uh, to see that whole transition from father to son. But And then to carry them off the field was a moment, you know, obviously every player would love to experience. And, um, and boy, I tell you, it was, it was just a great feeling. And I, I will say this, that, uh, you know, I was winning the Super Bowl, but I was really thinking about all the guys and all the people in Western New York and Buffalo that should be there with me, you know. And, you know, I basically thought to myself, guilty, really, why me? You know, why not Kelly or, you know, Marv Levy or any of the other guys? So my thoughts really went back to those guys and the players there and the, and the organization because they, I, I wish they could experience that because they deserve it. Oh, I wanted to ask you about the arm strength of Brett Favre. Uh, obviously, that's well documented. I'm trying to remember who it was we had on the show. They were just talking about how you could hear the ball uh, when it came out of his hand on the way to the receiver. Um, and so just compare the ball that he threw to uh, Jim Kelly and just in terms of velocity yeah. and so forth. Well, I mean, Brett could really spin it. I mean, he came off his hand, and it was spinning. Um, I used to, in every guy that ever played with Brett for, you know, a couple of years or more, you look at their hands. I mean, they got at least one finger that's disfigured for life. You know, it's, it's my ring finger on my right hand. You know, we call it farvism, you know, and he's proud of it. He's a sick human being, man. That guy he just, he just loves blowing guys' fingers out, you know? So I used to get ready for farv in the off season and Jim too, but, uh, I would, I, I had a jugs machine, so I would have somebody shoot a jugs machine out 65 miles an hour and I was standing six, six inches away from the ball. So I don't recommend, so people that are listening to this, please don't go do this. You're going to hurt yourself, but I would put a helmet on. I would literally stand six inches away from that ball and that ball would come out six, 65 miles an hour. And what it did was two things. It broke down all the nerves in my hands. So when I would go into camp, I wouldn't, you know, because nothing hurts worse than, you know, you're breaking a blood vessel or nerve ending and, you know, trying to catch a ball of his especially. And the other, the most important thing is it really softened and strengthened my hand at the same time. And so when I caught a pass, you know, you come out of a, uh, a slant route and that ball's on you fast, you got to be able to re- react quickly 
and you got to you got to have strong hands um, to be able to catch those. So and that helped it with that regard. But yeah, he could really he could really swing it now. Which city is colder to play in, Buffalo or Green Bay? Mm. You know, that's a that's a coin toss. I would think that Buffalo gets more snow because they're on the other side of the lake, and so they get more lake effect. Um, but I would say probably, I mean, they're both cold. I mean, I played back-to-back games in Buffalo at 33 below windshield. I mean, it was awful, you know. But, uh, you know, Green Bay's known as the ice ball, too, so... They're both they're both cold. Yeah, kind of got piggy- that wet wet cold against the more of a dry cold, I guess. Yeah, that, I think that's I think that's safe to say because I and again I think it's because of the side of the lake that they're on. Yeah. Kind of piggybacking off that in, in a, another interview that I had heard with you from last year or so, and you were talking about that how Coach Levy uh, really really emphasized um, what an advantage that was for you guys. It was an advantage because I'm. I remember well. Well, first of all, the the Raiders came in for the you know AFC Championship run game. We beat them fifty-one to three for Kyle Lott. They they literally didn't come out of the locker room until like five five minutes before the kickoff. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, they didn't come out for warm ups, no kickers, no punters, no nothing. They came out of that locker room, and they did not want to be there. NFC Championship or AFC it was AFC Championship game fifty-one to three. Uh, now we were acclimated to it because we practiced in it every day. We had a bubble. I mean, what they have nowadays is like, I mean, they have these huge indoor practice facilities. We had a bubble that was, you couldn't even punt in this bubble almost, you know. So we never went in it. <laughs> so we were always practicing outside. I remember one time it was snowing so bad in Buffalo that we were, I would run a deep ball and he would throw that ball up there and some, and we'd get lost. It was snowing so hard. And, and it was some days miserable. Tasker used to have something on his locker. It would say, He'd send the rookie out, you know, to check the weather every day, and it was one layer day, two layer day, three layer day, locker day. That means everything in your locker, put it on, boss, because it's it's cold out there. So, um, yes, yeah, a unique Marvin. That was a big advantage for us, especially with those Miami teams and the Southern teams. As far as Green Bay is concerned, uh, one of the things I've never had the opportunity to to go there, but um, Lambeau Field is certainly on the bucket list. But uh, one of the things I've heard from people who have been is just how Green Bay is it seems more like a college atmosphere almost than uh, a lot of NFL venues. Yeah, it really does. I mean, when I go back to the games now, I mean, I got a I got a buddy that owns one of the houses right across the street from Lombardi, so it's called Lombardi Row. Um, and it's, uh, you know, you're right. It literally is a college atmosphere, you know, um, just, you know, James Lofton, when I played with James at uh, Buffalo for several years there, he said, Beebs, if you ever leave Buffalo, he said, go, go to Green Bay, man. You got to play in Green Bay. Got to go to Lambeau, you know? And so I, I, first time I stepped on Lambeau, it was a practice, mind you. We had a practice and there were 60 some thousand people in the stadium for a practice. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, very unique place. Uh, I will say this: it's completely different now because it's just built up. But the core, the core of it, the field and everything of that nature, is still the same. The bowl, but they've just built it up so much now. It looks like a, uh, I mean, completely different. When you're talking about your combine experience, so you you referenced Deion Sanders, obviously a tremendous defensive back. Uh, so, who were some of those defensive backs that you really? Uh, Recall being the, the toughest guys to go against. Yeah, Dale Carter. Dale Carter was uh, 
from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he had all the intangibles, really long arms, very physical guy, great hips, tall, lanky, could run a 4 3 40. Uh, man, he had, he had everything. Mean as a rattlesnake, you know, uh, just one of the toughest guys that I struggled with. Um, you know, so uh, he would probably be the best. I mean, guys that were a little before my time that I always thought were great were Michael Haynes and Lester Hayes uh, from the Raiders. Um, you know, obviously Dion was, you know, Dion's a great player. I mean, nobody's going to argue that. Uh, I, I thought Daryl Green was tough. Okay, um, hence why he played for so long. And and you look at him. I mean, he's just a small little guy, but man, he just had a heart, a heart as big as anybody. And um, and that's you know now that I'm in the game of recruiting, man, that's one of the things I recruit. I just I recruit passion and I recruit character, man. And that's going to outweigh talent any day. Now, in your nine-year career, like like we've discussed, you, you had the opportunity to play in six Super Bowls, but. Um, what moment or moments are the ones that really, really stand out? I mean, I'm sure that that Super Bowl championship against, or excuse me, with the Packers. But uh, besides that, it's, it's maybe an individual moment in terms of a big game or something of that nature. Well, uh, for me, for me personally, uh, the first time I ever stepped on the field um, was a moment that I will never forget. I mean, there's a lot of moments, but that moment sticks out because this is kind of a funny story actually so the first time i'm on the field so I, first of all i was you know drafted by buffalo i didn't play in the first or second game because that was back before the k-gun and the no huddle offense and the three wide out set so this was 1989 so it was you know first down second down then the third receiver would come in on third down right well i was the fourth receiver on the roster so I didn't play the first two games. So Jim Kelly goes into Marv Levy and he says, look, we drafted BB. I mean, get him on the field. So they cut Chris Burkett on that Tuesday, and I slide into the third receiver slot. You know, yeah, that's too much power by a quarterback, right? So here I am. I'm playing my first game against the Houston Oilers in the Astrodome on a Saturday afternoon, nationally televised game in 1989. So we go down there, and the first time I'm on the field, it's a run play. I'm running up the line of scrimmage, and Chris Dishman was their corner, and he's talking trash. Hey, white boy, he says, man, I hear you can run, man. Let's see it, man. And I'm, like, scared to death, you know. And he was just being, you know, fun. It wasn't like he was being a jerk. He was just being fun. But I was like, man, this is the first time I ever stepped on a field now. So the second time I'm, I come out on a third down the next series, I'm supposed to run a post corner on this pass route. And, and as we're breaking the huddle, Kelly goes, beats. If he's pressed on you, go deep. I'm throwing to you. I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, here we go. Here we go. You know, so sure enough, Dishman's coming up, talking trash again, and I beat him for a 63-yard bomb touchdown. So the first pass that ever goes my way goes for a 63-yard touchdown. I mean, who does that? That's crazy, right? And it, I'm telling you, if it, that happened again, I, I probably wouldn't score nine out of ten times because I, he threw that ball like because Jim would throw a high ball. It was like a punt, you know, and, and I looked back, and I lost it in the light that last seconds, you know, and I just stuck my right – if you watch the video of it, I stick my right hand out there, and it just stuck to my hand. I mean, it was just so lucky. And I stay in bounds, and, and Chris tried to reach out and grab me, and he rips the middle E off my jersey and everything. And so, I mean, you just watch my reaction. I, I, I skipped like a little girl. I didn't even know how to react to a touchdown. 
But man, oh man, I got to the sideline and just thinking to myself, what in the world just happened? I mean, what a way to break in the NFL. So here's the fun, here's the funniest part about the story. I'm sorry. So the next time I go out of the field to run play again, I'm going up the line of scrimmage, and Dishman gets right up in my face, and he backs up about eight steps, and he goes, "Dang, white boy can run, man." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you talk about you talk about that deep ball that uh, Jim Kelly threw, um, and the way he would. Uh, put a lot of air under it and drop it in. And that reminds us of uh, Jeff Blake, who was playing in the NFL during the time you were in the NFL. Um, he played well over a decade, a tremendous quarterback in his own right. I remember that. Uh, as far as Jeff's deep ball, it was it was a, a thing of beauty, uh, yeah. where, whereas a lot of guys throw it flat. Toughest, toughest route to catch ever, especially in the NFL, is the go route. And the reason is, is you, it's it's – Usually a, a, a bomb comes down about 47 yards, okay, the average bomb. And you're running full speed, your head's bobbing all over. So when you're scouting, and I, I didn't know this then, but, you know, now that I do, is you look for a wideout when they're running full speed, how much does their head bob around in their pad level? If it moves around a lot, chances are they're going to drop more balls. If they run, they call it running in their pads and running smooth with their pads or gear on, if they can do that, and that's the one thing you look for, they're probably better catchers of the ball. Great point. That's that's certainly uh, one of those fine details of the game that the average fan certainly would not think about. Um, yeah. Kind of kind of transitioning to to life after football. I know um, there was it short, shortly after your pro career ended, um, you you started in the house of speed, and the speed that you had was certainly uh, that, and your agility were things that separated you from the from the pack and provided that opportunity for you in the NFL. And so um, just talk about that um, and, and how, how, the, how that was for you. Yep. I, you know, as soon as I retired, I knew I wanted to impact kids. I knew I wanted to be around sports and impact kids. So I was just, we were training one day. It was, I took four months to figure out if I was going to retire or not. I was ready to board a plane to go to Oakland when John Gruden was out there and I was going to sign a two-year deal. I didn't want to uproot my three kids at that time. I have four now, but I didn't want to uproot the three kids, and I was like, man, do I really want to move and do this again? So I, I landed up retiring four months after the last Super Bowl 32. And I was sitting there for lunch one day, and, and I was with the guy that was training me, Dr. Jeff Shute. And, you know, back in 98 now, guys, nobody was doing speed training. I mean, nobody. Okay? Uh, it was a complete unknown. And matter of fact, when I tried to – we started a business called House of Speed, which was named, by the way, after House of Pain. Um, we called it, that's, that's the God's honest truth. And it came from my wife actually. But, uh, you know, I start selling this stuff and people are looking at me like, come on, man, you can't, you can't teach a guy to be faster. Well, obviously that's been proven wrong many times over, but back in 98, that was the kind of deal. It, it blossomed so fast that we were opening up speed camps all over the country and then open, then it got into franchises. And at one time we had 24 franchises around the country. Oh, wow. And now speed training is like Walgreens. I mean, they're like on every corner. Every time Dick and Harry is training athletes, right? Well, it's just like anything. Some are really good and some are really bad. But um, so, yeah, we've been doing it 22 years. We're still doing it. Even though I'm a college coach now, we still have house of speed that we train in uh, outside the football seasons. And, um, I mean, I personally have trained with guys, like, you know, personally trained Tony Romo and Robert Quinn and Michael Turner of the Falcons and, you know, a lot of guys. We probably put over 100 guys in the NFL. Um, and I enjoy it. I really enjoy training it, but I really like the kids. You know, I like the 10 to 14, 15-year-old kid. It just has that 
gleam in their eye that just wants to be great, you know. And um, and so we're still doing it, and I I enjoy it. You've you've alluded to your coaching career a few times throughout this conversation, and so I, I know with that began, I guess, with the House of Speed. But as far as actual um, from the team aspect, and coaching at the high school level, which you did for more than a decade and did so very successfully, and had the opportunity to do so with with two brothers. Yeah, you know, I had a in 2004. So after doing House of Speed for six years, I kind of had a calling uh, to coach, uh, high school football. And I had no idea, you know, what to do or what, you know, who to turn to. And they, Aurora Christian High School reached out to me and asked me if I would be their coach. And I said, man, I would love to. So I, I literally went over there, um, you know, as a volunteer coach and landed up staying 14 years, <laughs> you know. So, uh, I, I absolutely enjoyed it. My brother was the D coordinator. My other brother was the athletic director. And my two sisters were the were, helped my brother assist him as the athletic de- department. So it was a family affair. They called it BB University almost, you know. Um, <laughs> and and after 14 years of doing that, Ted at 10 as a head coach, uh, you know, my son was a rookie with the Vikings then, and my my two daughters were senior in college and senior in high school. Uh, I've seen all my kids through high school. I loved being around them, and uh, but I knew it was my time to step away from that and go to a higher level. Um, and, and then Aurora University, just out of the blue, my house is up for sale. I was ready to go and move, you know, out of Illinois. And uh, the Lord obviously wanted me to stay at Aurora University. So, and I love every minute of it. Uh, I'm having the time of my life coaching there at Aurora University. And I'm um, looking forward to hopefully one day, you know, winning a national championship at, at Aurora University. But I will say this, coaching at Aurora Christian, and, and winning back-to-back state championships while your son's on the field his junior and senior year were times that I are absolutely priceless. You can never pay me any money that would, would, would amount to that. Now, Aurora University, you guys are D3, is that correct? Yes. And so um, just talk about that program. I know your first season at the helm, you guys went 9-2. and two. We did go 9-2 and two yet this year, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, um, I did. Yeah. Talk about the back background of that program. What's the what's the history of it prior to uh, you getting the job? Yeah, I mean it was uh, you know uh, it, it's just a, a a decent Division three program. You know, um, about you know like a five hundred. I think they've won four conference titles since nineteen eighty six. So uh, you know, a good program. Um, you know, I, I guess my whole outlook on life guys is whatever the ultimate dream is and the ultimate goal that we can achieve, let's go do that. You know, um, I've just always been raised. We got a big God that can do big things anytime he wants. Why don't we just tap into it? You know, so that's just kind of way I've lived my life. Um, and so when I went to AU, I basically told them, I mean, right out of the gate, I said, guys, all right, we got one goal here. We're going to win the next title. You know, and until we start believing it and training to it and eating to it and talking about it and all these things, uh, because a lot of coaches will say, man, you should never talk about that. I'm like, why? Why not? <laughs> why? Isn't that the ultimate goal here? Um, so let's, let's train toward it and get fired up about it. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Uh, winning a national title is not the most important thing. And winning in itself is not the most important thing. It's the journey that's the most important thing. Learning how to achieve those great things is what's important. It's what makes a man in football and a woman in other sports, and you know, because it should be the same as there as well. 
it's it's the it's learning how to do that things that make and mold you into the person that you become and and that's really important for me. And listen, I don't coach to win games. I'll be honest with you. It's my calling. I coach to mentor young men. And, um, and now I'm just doing it at the, at the college level. And guys, I got to tell you, I, I love every aspect of it. And that's something you hear some, it just depends on the individual. I mean, some, it can be coach speak and, and for, for most, hopefully it's, it's exactly what you're saying, where it's truly their calling. And, um, as far as embracing the grind, embracing the process and all those other cliches, but it's definitely true because, um, for all, for all those reasons you've already mentioned. Yeah, you know, I, I, I get the big picture here. The big picture is when I stand in front of God, he's not going to say, hey, Don, great job with all the wins. <laughs> he don't care. He's going to say, hey, what would you do with Billy? What would you do with Johnny? You know, I put those guys in your path. How would you mentor them? How would you tell them about me and all that stuff? And so I just use football to be able to do that. Um, that's never going to change till the day I die. Absolutely. Uh, well, you've been more than generous with your time. Um, we certainly didn't intend on keeping you this long, but um, it's been an excellent conversation. I know our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing it, and certainly best of luck to you and your family and just with everything our world's going through right now. And let's, let's hope yeah. and pray we can get that under control, and then we can get back to uh, – the less important things like and like the game of football and the, the game yeah. that we love so much and we, we'd love to have you back on sometime down the road sounds good guys thank you all right thanks so much all right bye-bye all right, all right take care thank you very much don appreciate him coming on the show and he was excellent i hope we can have him back on and um definitely uh that was a really cool interview to get a chance i got a chance to listen to it so uh, right there and um i tell you what guys i want to give a shout out to a friend of ours we need to get back on um, Stevie Fly does a great job of interviewing. I know a lot of uh, different uh, football players and uh, of the like, and appreciate him. And we'll have to get him back on. But it made me think when we were doing the interview about him and um, all the greats he's had on. Yeah, and, Stevie's uh, a good guy. A little, a little, a little Tar Heel basketball heavy. But uh, besides that, <laughs> I love talking to Stevie. I did a did a did a wrestling podcast with uh, with Stevie a few weeks ago, and. Uh, He's a great guy up there in uh, Alaska, North Carolina, Rich Square, northeastern part of the state. And, uh, yeah, we need to have everybody see you back on. We'll get him on uh, very soon. Guys, I'll I tell you what, um, I, I want to mention to you, I was actually, with uh, everything going on, staying home, I know you guys have been doing well, but I've been frustrated with, um, obviously, I have my, I was telling Bubba while we were waiting for you for our pre-show meeting, uh, Kyle, I have my good days and my bad days, and yesterday I was just uh, having a tough time not having sports of the like, and uh, the Masters is usually on, and thinking about the national championship game, the basketball, and all the different sports, but anyway, I finally was able last night to get over all that, and I put on, I found a movie I haven't seen in a long time on Hulu, I was watching Risky Business with Tom Cruise, and it made me think about you guys as far as Sometimes we have pop culture. We don't have a lot of uh, content-wise. So I want to ask you guys. Who made you think about us because we're stockbrokers to sleep with a lot of hot women. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, College sees a high school kid that uh, did well. But anyway. um, Is that a lot of risky business? I've never seen it. Oh, you need to see it. Yeah, it's a great great movie. But um, it was one of those movies. I'm thinking of The Wolf of Wall Street. I don't know. Yeah, the 80s, 
to me is one of my favorite times because uh, there's a lot of classic movies and um, certainly in this particular case, there's a lot of movies I grew up with and um, I was too young at the time. That came out in 1983. So one great thing is now with the movies that were adults that we can watch that were back at that time that we wanted to watch, we couldn't. I still Um, have to call and ask my mom if it's okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, Are there movies that are from the 80s or any time that, uh, this particular, let's talk about the 80s. So there are certain movies that are go-tos that you guys watch or that you maybe like that when you want to watch? Uh, 80s movies? No, if I want to watch a movie, I pretty much have. Um, uh, 80s movies are favorites I got, dude. Uh, I could list, you know, you know, they're interesting. There are movies that I consider 80s movies, and then there are movies that I just are that were made in the 80s. If that makes it, well, I'll yeah, give you no, an example. Yeah. I, I, Ghostbusters, I do not consider an 80s movie, even though it was made in the 80s. Ghostbusters is just Ghostbusters. Awesome. Um, but if, if we're going to include any movie made in the 80s, then uh, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future. Um, um, uh, what about Top Gun? Young Guns 1 and 2. I'm not a Top Gun fan. Young Guns 1 and 2. Um, Roadhouse. Um, oh, man. That was a good movie. Next, Next of Kin. Um, Patrick Swayze guy. Um, Dirty Dancing. We'll continue with the Patrick Swayze theme. Um, I, I mean, come on. Then, and then you got your your classic '80s movies. You know, you got your, your movies that you think of as that's an '80s movie. Uh, the Breakfast Club. Right. Um, Sixteen Candles. You're not a big Sixteen Candles guy, but uh, the mm-hmm. Breakfast Club. No, uh, the Breakfast Club. Um, um, Fast Times at Rich Mahon. Can't Buy Me Love. Um, remember that one? Oh, yeah. Patrick Dempsey and the lady, um, Amanda, I can't think of her last name. She just passed away a year or so ago, unfortunately. Um, we lost her. Um, oh, Jesus, what am I? What, what, uh, 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 Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. Um, great 80s movie. Um, man, I could go on and just, just keep naming things. I mean, I... The over the top. There's another movie from the eighties. Uh, all the Rocky movies. I guess the first yeah. Rocky came out in the seventies, but the first the two came out. Well, the first two came out in the seventies. And there's a whole lot that came out in the new millennium. Or since it came out in the new millennium, but uh, if you're counting the Creed movies, but uh, right. the Rocky, Rocky three, Rocky four, Rocky five. Yeah. No, maybe not Rocky five. Um, <laughs> well, the first, the three and four definitely. Yes, I've uh, only seen Rocky five once. So yeah, well, that's enough. Um, worst Rocky movie they've made. Uh, yes. Batman, the 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 Michael Keaton Batman. Um, uh, dude, I, I mean, like I said, I could just keep going on and on. Major League. Yeah, for me, um, for me, as far as '80s movies go, um, I, I was telling Bubba, I absolutely love Caddyshack. Um, Caddyshack is certainly a big classic. Blues Brothers. Um, Blues Brothers, definitely, yeah. In fact, in fact, the two. The um, reason I thought Blues Brothers came out in '79. Um, it was '80 because it was '80 because the reason I remember is uh, my parents went to see Blues Brothers, while my sister and and a cousin went to see Empire Strikes Back. They were on at the same time. But um, yeah. anyway, um, the Star Wars movies, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, are, are classics. Uh, the second and third one, Empire Strikes Back, I think is the best Star Wars movie ever. Um, so you have those. I love, um, like stripes with, the, with Bill Murray. Uh, love that. That's a good one. Yeah. 
I love uh, Trading Places, um, any of the Eddie Murphy movies. I'm a huge fan of Eddie Murphy. So a bad the way I look at it, it's a bad Eddie Murphy movie is still better than some movies. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah. Um, not so much good stuff, dude. Bubba, you got yeah. anything? You, you watch 80s movies? Yeah, I, I tend to lean more toward the, the comedies, but um, so I'll mention those first. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, oh, yeah. A good movie with Steve Martin and John Candy. Um, a couple movies with Tom Hanks, um, The Burbs, and then also uh, Big. Uh, you also had a couple of baseball movies that came out in the end of the 80s, there in 89, um, with Major League and Field of Dreams. Yeah, um, great. Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation in '83. I don't think you said in, that. I, no, I was ah, missing yeah, that. I forgot. Right. And then Yep, I love Christmas Vacation. I know you um, also. I think Dave, you mentioned um, Blues Brothers and then Caddyshack. Those were a couple of favorites. Yeah, there's so many. I mean, we could spend we could do a two hour podcast on all the movies yeah. just from the '80s. Oh man, yeah. Did y'all like Gremlins growing up? Yeah, Gremlins is good. Uh, did not like Gremlins too. Um, no, the, the original Gremlins was very good. Yes, the first Gremlins. I, uh, thank you. Yeah, the the second Gremlins. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of. Um, you might kill me, but I'm not really a big fan of the second Ghostbusters. What came out '87? I didn't like that. I, much. I, I won't kill you. I like it, but it's not as good as the first one. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying the. It's not like I hated it. I'm just saying as far as like pretty much sequels, it was good. But the first Ghostbusters, my point is, I can watch that over and over and over again. And I never get tired of it. The second one I could watch probably every once in a while. So, um, anyway, before we go, do you guys have any things you're doing right now? Um, still to, uh, like me, I'm watching movies. I'm playing my turntable more. I'm reading some. I probably need to read more. But, uh, what are you, what are you guys doing to try to kill the time? Not kill the time, but certainly cope with no sports. Um, um, uh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, watch TV, listen to podcasts. Um, sweet love to my wife. Um, what is? <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, by, you, by, the, by this point, um, we're we're a month deep into this thing. Um, so pretty set in the new routine. Uh, in our our new uh, sense of normal, but uh, yeah, out, outside of doing the uh, doing the necessary things like uh, what I mentioned earlier, as far as delivering the food to the kids and going to the store and, and uh, getting a little exercise, outside of that, um, listen listen to some podcasts like um, the Fair Pole Podcast with Chris Edwards. For, for those who love the game of baseball, it's an excellent listen. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, also listening to uh, the Audible and some other co- – uh, the Andy Staples show is one I started listening to, a couple of college football-related podcasts. And then um, also um, on ESPN Plus, I've watched um, documentaries on Dwayne Wade and also Michael Vick. I, I know uh, that that last one is one that uh, Kyle would, would not care to see. No, I have no interest in watching anything on Michael Vick. Uh, he's a piece of trash that can go uh, take a long walk off a short pier. Um, I, uh, How do you really I, feel? I, well, you know what? <laughs> you just use dogs. I don't have much use for you. Um, I'm sure I'm sure your dad feels the same way. Um, oh, yeah. 
I, they, uh, they actually, about five years ago, the um, this quick sidebar of Michael Vick, to tell you, the uh, he apparently, I mean, there are a lot of people who think that he, I'll just put it out there to be fair to him, think that he had, uh, you know, redemption, that he's, you know, seen the light or whatever. No, that's right, and that's no, great no, he has. No, I know, I know. Here's my point. Um, that might be great, but guess what? 2015, the Raleigh Chamber of Commerce were going to have him speak at an event, and they had to literally, they got so much heat about it that they had to rescind their offer for him to speak. And so I know that was five years ago, um, but I still feel like there's a lot of people that will always feel, <laughs> feel that way, and um, there might be some that have uh, changed their mind on things, but as far as... Uh, Yours truly, um, I would definitely, I would definitely um, like to talk to him. But as far as uh, I don't know that I would ever be able to fully trust that everything is is okay. So, no, nah, I mean, and he, uh, and it's fine. A man needs to be able to make a living. That uh, hopefully he has seen the light. You know, I've heard one time in studying charities to do with the the, the care of animals. So. Uh, that's all good. That don't mean I have to have anything to do with them. Um, right. I, uh, I, I was going to say something else. Oh, uh, some of the things we're doing on uh, YouTube. Uh, watching a lot of ECU football related uh, videos, old games, stuff like that. There's a lot of that on YouTube. Um, and again, I continue my search for the '97 Wake Forest game. If you have a copy of it on VHS or a copy of the DVD, if you will make me a copy, I will be glad to pay you, give you a gift card trade you a copy of a game I have, whatever whatever we need to do. If you have a copy of that 97 Wake Forest game, please get in touch with me. Uh, BleedsPurple2014 at gmail.com. BleedsPurple2014 at gmail.com. Um, and uh, Dave, um, as, we, as we're wrapping this thing up, uh, Bubba has to step away. Yep. Uh, we, uh, we, uh, we should be having uh, Ryan Robinson on here pretty soon, Associate Athletic Director, and uh, the guy who's temporarily uh, running the Pirate Club. Um, we should have Ryan on here very soon, and hopefully we'll be able to work things out where we can do it on uh, Facebook Live and uh, be able to take questions from uh, the listeners out there if things work out. We'll have uh, more information on when that's going to be uh, here in the coming days. So pay attention to our Facebook and Twitter, and uh, you can find out when we're going to have Ryan Robinson on and uh, if uh, if we're going to be able to work it out where you guys can ask him a question. And uh, this Friday night, uh, Trivia was a great success this past Friday night. Uh, yeah. A lot more people participated than participated the previous week. Um, and we're going to do it again this Friday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, sports trivia, uh, different categories, not just ECU. Uh, last week we did the Masters. We did wrestling. We took questions about the Yankees and Major League Baseball. Um, yep. This coming up week, uh, we're planning on doing a little sports movie trivia. Uh, we, uh, the uh, It's one of our categories. and. Uh, Thanks to Bethany Bradshaw of Bonesville.net. It was her suggestion. Yes, so yes. If and, you have a uh, suggestion for a category, then throw it our way. We'll do it. And fabulous prizes. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah. We've given away Pizza Hut and Domino's gift cards. And um, uh, this week, I'm not sure what we're giving away yet, but there will be a prize. And uh, We're actually going to give um, – I'll do an executive decision real quick to try to do some local stuff. And ones that we can actually, for people that are not and that are in Pirate Nation that maybe not in Greenville, um, we're going to give one away from UBE. They have PirateWear.com. So we'll do um, oh, a gift card. Okay. All right, UBE gift card. All right, $20 UBE gift card to the uh, to, to the winner. Uh, so you yep. can get you, you, can get, you a, get you a new get you a new shirt or a hat. Um, so that'll be uh, that'll be good. 
I thought that would be a safe bet for the three guys so um, that we can do. So we'll do that uh, this coming week. Appreciate everybody listening. I know that everybody is going through a tough time. If you're like me, I have my good days and bad days. But thank God for Bubba and Kyle for still doing the podcast because that keeps me that keeps <laughs> that really does keep me going uh, to um, to have some sense of normalcy, whatever that is, and uh, to keep it going. And um, by the way, Kyle, I want to mention one final thing, um, and uh, I want you to to uh, close things out with it. Um, is our plea for people to buy season tickets for football? Yeah, no. Um, I look, guys. Uh, season ticket sales uh, from from you know this is an official, but we've heard that they to this point they've only sold around thirty five hundred season tickets, and this should be the hot period. This should be when people are buying tickets normally. Right. Look, if if we don't have a football season, or, or you know for whatever reason, you're going to get a damn refund. But they're, they're going to have football. At some point, we're going to play football. And bottom line, if you want this football program to exist, to, to, to exist and thrive, you, you need you need to go ahead and buy your season tickets. See, don't wait around. Now, if you're in a financial situation where, you, where you're out of work or whatever, obviously that's different. But if you that's can understandable. Afford it, yeah, if you can afford it, go on and buy your football season tickets now. Don't wait and see. Buy now. If for, if, if for whatever reason the season doesn't get played, you'll get your money back. Um, but the tickets need to get sold. Uh, they were hoping to get sixteen thousand. At this point, you know, I think, break 10, I think. Uh, yeah, well, I think they'll be tickled to hit the number we hit last year. You got to start yep. buying these tickets, people. If you can afford it, buy them. We, we we need to get them sold. This is a bad situation, and you're hurting your athletic department. If you love pirate football, you need to buy these tickets. Think about it. Yeah, and as fact, folks, you can one eight hundred. Dial ECU. If you like me, old school. And I like. Oh, go to ECUPirates.com. Yeah. If you're a regular season ticket holder, you, you you got an email. Click the link. It's really easy. I bought mine exactly. in December. So, so they, they, I wanted to I'll put that in before we go. Thanks to our great guest, Don Beebe, an NFL great. Love to have him back on. And for Bubba Rosenbaum and Kyle from the Green Barber, I am Dave Richmond for the Sports Objective Podcast. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.